Welcome to Bound the Context. I'm your host, Ryan Stravin. Today, I'm happy to have Andy Glover uh, with me. Andy's Director of Productivity at uh, Netflix. Welcome to the program, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So where are you coming to us from? You're what, California? I am in the Bay Area, so I live uh, in San Jose, California. So uh, beautiful, sunny day today. And you have probably the best uh, garage uh, that <laughs> I've ever seen. Uh, thank so you. Thank you very much. Going. It is a fun garage. It's my office, too. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, anytime you have a garage as office, that's not such a bad thing. So, um, so Andy, why don't you introduce yourself uh, to our listeners? Yeah, so uh, as you already said, my name is Andy Glover. I run Productivity Engineering at Netflix. I've been here for uh, seven and a half years. And ultimately, Productivity Engineering is somewhat of a new org at Netflix. Um, probably we created it about three years ago, and I took o- over only about a year ago. And the end goal of productivity engineering is to, or the value add to the business is to make developers as highly productive as possible. Uh, is that the, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I think every company wants, you know, developers working on like features, adding value to like our members or customers. Uh, and the quicker they can, um, they can manifest that value, the better for the business. And so that's what we're charged with doing is making developers as productive as possible on day zero. Uh, and how we measure that's a whole nother story, but you can kind of think of it as like, how soon can they put, um, you know, can they change, so to speak, the experience for our members or create something for our, you know, our studios to make them more efficient? And we want them to be able to do that as quick as possible. That's fascinating. I mean, I've heard of companies that put projects in place, but they have a whole area of the company who's doing nothing but, just, you know, focused on uh, engine productivity is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. It's a lot of work, no doubt. I bet. So, so, you know, this Andy, this program is about problem solving. So as you, as you think about, you know, the Andy Glover way of problem solving, when you go in and see a big gnarly problem, whether it's um, productivity engineer and Netflix or other ones, like walk our listeners through, like, how do you break down a problem like that? How do you kind of go about solving problems like that? Yeah. And um, I've been thinking a lot about this and, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm somewhat uh, disappointed to say it's not rocket science uh, and it's definitely <laughs> not some like special patented, you know, beautiful thing that I can say I created or, or thought of. But um, it really boils down to is is breaking a problem into really small pieces that are manageable, I think. And that's all challenges in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly, you know, professional wise, when you look at um let's look at productivity engineering and kind of where we were, where we are and where we're going. And, and, and through that, it'll, we'll talk about how we break that down. But ultimately, uh, as I, as I said, productivity engineering is a new Oregon Netflix and we created it because we noticed that there was, um, there was, you know, some value to be gained, or at least there was an opportunity. Like we knew our developers at Netflix could be more productive. It's not that they're unproductive today. In fact, they're they're doing quite well. Yeah. But there were there were signs. We're getting signals that there um that there was room to grow. You know, room to improve. Uh, so I took over a year ago and uh, assessed the the landscape. And in fact, we really hadn't made much progress. So the problem was. Uh, you know, we have this org, it's called Productivity Engineering. And uh, if we were to assess, had we increased developer productivity at Netflix, um, would the answer be we have greatly or not at all or some? And 
we could only answer the question somewhat anecdotally, and it was probably more on the, the sum to not really. It's a big complex problem. We have this org, it's got, you know, over 100 people. And after a few years of existence, we can't really, you know, point to this thing, this metric or whatever it is, we're like, we had never really figured out what success meant when we formed it. So, uh, but it's clear the company wants increased productivity. So yeah. first thing uh, that uh, I did with my staff is we, we enunciated, we created a vision. Well, where are we going? Like, let's first set the North Star. And the North Star is ultimately, we have, we have all these products that are, um, you know, that, that developers are using day in, day out. And we want to connect them, make a, a holistic experience. And then we want to raise a level of abstraction uh, and be more opinionated. And that will set us up to be, to offer a more, let's say serverless, uh, and I put serverless in quotes, a more serverless experience for developers. So that's the real productivity gain. So that's, that's a five-year vision. So we set out and we create a vision and that kind of gets everyone kind of looking in the, in the right direction. So mm -hmm. instead of us all going our own kind of uh, routes and, and, and trying to make uh, small incremental kind of like uh, siloed improvements and develop the productivity, let's all start looking in the same direction and pointed like directionally this way. But, uh, and that took a little while to get everyone aligned, right? So first thing is get everyone thinking the right way or not, maybe not the right way is not the right way to do that. Uh, get everyone thinking uh, in a common direction. And, and, and that took a while. Once we enunciated the vision, now it's like, how do we get there? Again, big problem, break it down into small yeah. pieces. So then the next issue we wanted to tackle was, well, are we organized for success? Like if we're all gonna go in this direction, we have um, all these different teams, some of them had charter overlap, uh, some of them had like unclear charter. So it was, let's make sure we're organized such that we can actually all run together. So we went about trying to break down the domain of productivity uh, and we broke it down into three three domains. Uh, there's a domain focused on the local development experience. There's a domain focused on the delivery experience. And then there's a domain focused on the operational experience. And so then we went about and we, we, we essentially organized productivity engineering around those domains. So there's like a leader in that domain with teams. We combined some teams. That actually clarity of where we're going and how we want to organize made us realize there were some teams within our org that, um, were better suited in another org where their focus was, you know, more in line. Because again, the beauty of a vision is it is it is it focuses, you know, your attention and it makes it very clear. Like all these pieces are pointed in this direction, and if there's just one piece that you can't get pointed in that direction, it largely means that maybe it doesn't belong, right? Mm -hmm. And in, in this case, there was um, there were some aspects of of the old productivity engineering that we moved into other orgs so that we're now highly focused. So we went about, uh, we, we did a reorg uh, and that took a little while, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, once the reorg was uh, in place, then we set about doing, okay, we've got the vision, we're organized for success. Now let's, uh, let's come up with our strategy, like how in fact, are, like what are the tactics we're gonna do day in, day out to achieve that vision? And so, we're in the process of now gaining alignment on that strategy. And that takes uh, you know, a lot of time to have conversation with saying, we know we're going this direction, we're organized now, like what are the steps we're gonna take to do that? What, like, what are we gonna do first? What are our priorities? 
And we've aligned on five priorities. Again, breaking it down into smaller, you know, uh, bite-sized chunks. Here are five top-level priorities that will guide us for the next 12 to 18 months. Hmm. We actually just got alignment with that uh, within the last few months, let's say. And now uh, we're each team is taking that, like uh, that prioritization, that context, and using it to drive their own kind of roadmaps. Because again, at, at at the top level. I want to say we're going in this direction, but every team is going to do their is make their own, you know, own uh, roadmaps that will ultimately point them in that direction. So it's high level, big, complex problem. Get everyone focused on the, you know, the end goal, build almost a framework for how to think about how to get there and then push down decision making as low as possible. So I, I can't make a decision, let's say, for an IC working in a team like uh, focused on you know, builds or something like that. Like they're the experts there, but ultimately if they understand the framework of what's important in terms of like ensure that it's a connected experience, that it's more managed, then they can make those prioritization decisions day in and day out. Awesome, and when you, and you're describing the vision, the strategy, words I sometimes use are outcomes. I think outcomes yeah. tend to work as a compass that yep. points us and there's a myriad of lots of decisions you have to make on the day to day out basis, but it's not, your role as a leader is to create there's outcomes and point so people can point to that North Star um, yep. and then align. So within Netflix, what are some of the, without getting too detailed, are there outcomes or metrics that you've used uh, or you are yes. going to be using to drive some of these behaviors or is it more of a narrative type of thing? No, it's great. I'm glad you asked that because it, it goes back to my earlier point is when we anecdotally kind of assessed the situation, we couldn't say that we had you know achieved anything, right? Or we, we hadn't indeed improved productivity. So metrics, super important. Uh, and I think, you know, again, when you think about a, a complex problem, uh, you want to be able to show that you've solved it. And the only way you can do that is you have to, you need some sort of measurement. First challenge is, is you need a baseline. Yes. Uh, and so, in fact, uh, when it comes to productivity at Netflix, there's a lot of different metrics we've zeroed in on. Uh, we call them proxy metrics. We have a lot of those, but we actually do not have a productivity metric. I don't think anyone in the industry really has figured this one out. Um, so one of our challenges facing us right now is we don't have a great baseline. And so that's one of the exercises we're going through is like, OK, we know where we want to go. We have some ideas and I can talk more about this on what productivity would look like, what those metrics would be, what success looks like, to your point, the outcome. But in order for us to achieve that, we need to know what our baseline is now. So let's like start basically uh, getting those measurements in place. Um, at a high level, what we think about productivity is, is, I said this earlier, is ultimately when a developer comes to Netflix on day one or day zero, like when are they pushing to some target environment? We'll say prod, you know, mm -hmm. to make it easy. And ideally, it's the first day. Uh, and we want that consistent across all of Netflix, regarding, regardless of your you know, technology platform or, or use case. We're not there today. Some teams you can push today, you know, the day you get there. Some teams it may take two weeks. I don't know. Uh, we want to drive some level of consistency. And of course, then you want, you, know, you want people pushing to production as fast as possible, but also table stakes is it's reliable. It works. You yes. can back it out, all that good stuff. So... Um, therein lies the complexity of like, what is true productivity? It's not just moving fast. It's moving fast with confidence. What does confidence mean? Well, high degree of testing, reliance, scalability, all that stuff. So um, we are busy building or capturing that metric now. We are confident 
that based on our vision where we're going, that we can, uh, I would say, uh, increase productivity by lowering, let's say that that you know that uh, time to value you know mm-hmm. number. Uh, but then, yeah, the whole exercise is, you know, in terms of thinking what a success looks like, what is outcome. Uh, it's very easy at my level to say, well, you know, um, you know, the, the outcome would be that people are, you know, pushing to production with confidence quicker. But that doesn't always translate down to if you're, again, um, uh, let's say we use the build example. There's a team focused on builds, whether it be, you know, Java, any, any let's say, we'll say polyglot builds. Um they likely need a different metric, you know, or a different outcome. And maybe their one is very simple. It's build times go down. I don't know. Uh, that's up to them to figure out. Uh, and in fact, that's the beauty of, of, of kind of, uh, you know, uh, highly aligned, but loosely coupled kind of thinking. That's a, that's a Netflix mantra and that we're all highly aligned point in this direction, but we're not very, we're, we're loosely coupled in that a team is, has the agency to figure out like how to get there. What do they need to do? What do they need to prioritize? What metrics are important to them? Mm-hmm. So long as they fit into the bigger picture. One thing we are uh, doing is embracing the notion of uh, OKRs, which are, you know, objectives and key results. And that's new for my org. Uh, we previously did not align around the idea of shared objectives and obviously key results. So we're going, that's part of that product strategy I was talking about that yes. we just got alignment on is we have these, five objectives we have directional krs and then we want individual teams to you know manifest those into like actual tangible like for my team you know the metrics are x y and z that fit into this uh and and the x y and z are are specific uh, and measurable uh that fit to that objective but i can't i can't i can't make those for those teams it's it's up to those teams to figure those out it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, where I've been, I've seen a handful of organizations roll out OKRs, even our small consulting company, I've seen Fortune 500 when yep. done right. And the objectives and key results are really outcomes that can be highly effective in alignment. When done poorly and the outcome is written as go accomplish this thing or, or something more of an, what we call it, like an option or just completing something yeah. <laughs> or they're focused on the wrong thing it can go sideways really quick. So it's a, it's a, it's a powerful thing. You just got to make sure it's on the right thing because you can inadvertently have people all headed in the wrong direction if you didn't make a good decision at that sort of strategic level. Yeah, and I think you, you hit on something important. And, um, uh, you know, to get this right, what I have, um, I've asked for a lot of patience um, mm-hmm. because the danger is if we get it wrong, and we start running really fast that it like we, we don't actually we're, we're back to square one. We, we you know, we're the status quo reigns. Right. Um, one of the challenges that we have, and this is why we're embracing OKRs and, and why I'm pushing for patience is that uh, Netflix is uh, we have this notion of freedom and responsibility and the notion of, uh, you know, uh, loosely coupled, highly aligned. So you have a bunch of like autonomous teams running as fast as they can to do the right thing for Netflix. And they always are doing the right thing for Netflix. The challenge comes is that we're a centralized team. We're ultimately a platform with a lowercase mm-hmm. p. Uh, yeah. I mean, productivity engineering is part of a larger org called platform with a capital P. <laughs> and the reality is, is that we are um, we are coupled from a technology standpoint in that like team A is running really fast, you know, in this direction is and, and the reality is, is there's some sort of technological technology dependency on team B. And if team B is also not running in that direction, nothing like the, 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 there's there's no impact, right? Because it's like you're, you keep waiting and everyone's going this way. That, um, that's a reality of platforms in general. It's not a unique problem to Netflix. And so 
what the the idea of shared objectives what we're what we're really keying on is we're all pointed in the right direction and we recognize the dependencies that's why it takes a long i shouldn't say it takes a long time it takes a concerted effort a discipline to make sure that you've got the alignment that everyone understands that's where we're going and in order to get there I'm going to have to do some things for that team and I might have to give up some of my like you know my desires in order to help that team and vice versa it's mm -hmm. a, you know it's it's a give and take and so OKRs are great about pointing out those dependencies that ultimately has led uh, in the past to uh, conflict again with you know people going you know or teams going in this they're all doing what they feel is like the local maximum yes. but the the, the 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 macro picture is ultimately un, unaffected because of that yes yeah lots of local optimizations right without alignment to the bigger goal so mm -hmm. let me ask you Andy, give folks i know you come from a software engineering background i mean how did you sort of get into this and and, and who have been along your way who've been some of your influencers like who, who people influence the way you think about sort of problem solving yeah so how did i get into this so yeah i started out my career as a developer um and i still uh consider myself a developer although i i haven't uh haven't pushed software out in front of like real people in a long time <laughs> <laughs> um but uh i you know i i i uh actually got lucky a number of years ago um a long time ago now that i think about it gosh making me feel old um and i had the opportunity to create a company and i fell in love with the idea of like the impact you can have uh while while there is a there's a, a certain degree of there's actually a high degree of you know joy from like creating something and seeing people use it uh that is you know like building a feature and then seeing people like rave about it. i love that you can't get away from that but there's a another kind of joy of like thinking like big picture like here's where we're going here's a like a giant impact that i could not do alone it requires like a, a team and influencing that team to do that and sometimes i've been good at it sometimes i haven't i've learned a ton of lessons about that um but that's how i got into this idea or you know into management right like uh there's the uh there's you know the, the old mantra or whatever like you know uh poor developers become managers or vice versa <laughs> the great developers get pulled into management and lose them i don't see it that way it's like ultimately i wanted to have bigger impact so i wanted to get into people management uh and it's it's a different skill set for sure um yeah. as opposed to like you know just coding which again is highly addictive uh but but uh leading through influences you know uh is like trying to influence someone to code with your arms tied down your back and it's really challenging but anyways um that's how i got into it uh you there was a second part of your question which i've yeah, who've been some of your influencers along the yes. way Has it, in, in, any uh, people or books or, or anything that's been influential in helping you tons probably far too many to uh to to uh to name but I, i'll say from a people standpoint you know i mean or usually it's it's you know people that have written books but um any book uh so obviously there's you know the mythical man month by fred brooks i think everyone yeah. should read that of course um, there's a gold rat. I forgot his first name, but he wrote Elliot. the gold. Yes, uh, the, the, the goal and uh, critical chain. Phenomenal books. I find, you know, uh, just in general, any leadership book that people, you know, you just look on Amazon. If people are giving a, a leadership book, you know, multiple stars, I, I'll read it. I just read. Um, in fact, this is a great one. Uh, it's called Team of Rivals, uh, and it's about Lincoln and his um, 
his cabinet. Yeah. I forget the author's name. I, I tend to forget authors' names now, but I remember the titles. But it's a great book uh, from the standpoint of, um, you know, Lincoln, uh, he built a cabinet full of people uh, that didn't like him. Uh, they were his rivals. Hmm. And uh, it was a genius move because he knew that they would challenge him, that they would, you know, they would make his ideas together. They would make better ideas. And this is, you know, this is basically management 101, right? You don't want a bunch of yes people that just say yes to whatever you say. You want people to challenge you. You want people to bring different perspectives to the table because it will ultimately drive a better outcome. Uh, and to see how, Lincoln did that, you know, it's such a contentious time of U.S. history in terms of like, you know, slavery and, you know, an impending, you know, secession and civil war and that he got through it with these uh, with these, you know, these people, these gentlemen, per se. I mean, it wasn't a very diverse cabinet for by no means, but um, from a diversity of thought, he did really well there. So fascinating book, highly recommend it. Uh, Podcasts, uh, I listened to. Uh, every podcast I can like get my my ears on, if you would say. Uh, and in fact, uh, there's um, most recently I listened to one. Um, so there's a there's a venture capital firm called Andreessen Horowitz or yeah, A16Z. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, most people have heard of them. You know, yeah. Mark Andreessen being you know uh, obviously uh, someone uh, by, else. By, by, by the way, I have a book from back in college with Mark's. Uh, uh, email address at Illinois Urbana-Champlain for the Mosaic yeah. browser. And I saved that book. I told my wife, I was like, listen, I've got to save this book because Mark's his email address in college is here. And she's like, who is that? I was like, never mind, never mind. Yeah, but, don't uh, worry about that. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but Mosaic, I mean, that's how I got into the internet. It was like yeah. the Mosaic browser, you know? Oh, but yeah, anyway, I don't want to cut you off. Keep, keep going. Well, well, uh, I think A16Z p- puts out, they put out at least two different podcasts, but they put out some really interesting podcasts because yeah, they, they interview a lot of thought leaders. Yeah, they do. And most recently, and I'll tie this back to the conversation we we're just having about like, you know, uh, patience and objectives and goals. Uh, they interviewed um, two uh, former executives from Amazon uh, and because they had just written a book. Forgive me. I forgot the name of the book and I forgot their names. <laughs> but they said some really interesting things. They said two things that I actually ended up taking notes on. First and foremost is that, um, and these guys, uh, one of them reported to Bezos, like so they, they were, you know, they were really high up and early on. They said that when um, uh, Andy Jassy, who's, you know, going to be yep. the new CEO, um, when they had the idea for Amazon Web Services or AWS, they spent 18 months gaining that alignment figuring out what the objectives are, basically getting everyone pointed in the right direction before they started writing a line of code. And there was a lot of tension there because uh, there were engineers, uh, there are amazing engineers at Amazon that built you know, AWS yeah. and they wanted to start coding from day one. Like they knew what, the, what they were doing, you know, like let's just, can we code? And that kind of executive staff was like, no, we've got to make sure we've got the alignment. We've got to make sure we know what we're building and, and how we know we're successful, what the measurements are. And of course, they got some stuff wrong and they course corrected. But for me, the, the, the thing that I took down is they spent 18 months planning that. Um, and so, you know, talk about patience and discipline. Uh, super fascinating. And then uh, they talked about kind of like their the, the, the leadership arc. And in fact, what they talked about 
was um, there's like three stages. And I think this is largely based off of Bezos thinking, but it makes sense. And I think it's in any kind of, you know, doesn't matter about technology. It's more about just leadership. But you you focus on this arc of like first the what, going back to what I was talking about, the vision. Then you you focus on how, like how are we going to get there? What's the strategy? And then you focus on the who. Do you have the right people in place to achieve that? Uh, and I loved how they just, they simplified it into three things. It's, you know, what, how, who, and then you just, you, you're continually re-innovate, you know, uh, uh, going through that cycle. So um, fascinating podcast. Thank you, A16Z, for putting that out. Uh, and, and of course, the book that those, uh, those, those two gentlemen wrote, uh, I suspect, is a really good one. So, and then one, I'll just throw out one more thing. Um, really good podcast that uh, I think goes to what you talk about in terms of like, or, you know, critical thinking and, and in complex problems. How do you, how do you solve them? Uh, it's called Cautionary Tales. Hmm. And it's by uh, a gentleman who's written a couple books who I had read his books. I didn't realize this was the same person. Um, of course, I forgot the names of the books, but he's, he's, a, he's an economist and he's written books about like statistics. And I think he calls it naked statistics and naked economics. Hmm. Um, but Cautionary Tales talks about kind of like uh, uh, unintended consequences. Like uh, it's fascinating. It's, it's a lot, it, or I should say it's similar in vain to Freakonomics, which yeah, most people yeah, have heard and understand. Yeah. Very similar in that like, here's a policy, here's a way of thinking, and then here's the unintended or here's the consequences of it. So Cautionary mm-hmm. Tales, really, really interesting, brings up historical stories. Um, and then you can usually apply those lessons to like just life or like even professional, like thinking through like, I'm going to make this local optimum of what are the effects on the on the larger. It's, uh, it's very, very fascinating. So Cautionary Tales. Awesome. Well, you you mentioned something earlier about the eighteen months. You know, so so you and I have grown up in the agile sort of as agile's come to fruition over the last twenty years. And often in agile teams, there's a sense of okay, we're going to start writing like code today and start pushing code out sort of tomorrow. And I've, what I've learned over time is, you know, when we had waterfall, we spent too much time on design. And then somehow when we got to agile, it felt like we didn't need design anymore. Let's just it's all about cranking code. And I realized I think that we're coming back to that sweet spot, which is there needs to be design time to design and think through these things because we can write code and ship it faster than ever. But should yeah. we write the code? And every line of code you write is a line you have to maintain. Yep. You know, and so and so I'm wondering, you know, within your vantage point, have you seen teams, I'm assuming you guys obviously do agile, have you seen them carve out time to design or how do you make time within your organization or teams at Netflix to do the design? Because that's important when there's always this rush to kind of, you know, build, ship, deploy, build, ship, deploy, those sort of things. Yeah, I think, you know, we struggle through it. I think like every other company is, I think, you know, ultimately within, I think it's pretty common in the Valley, Silicon Valley, you know, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Move fast and break things. Is this like mantra? I know Facebook popularized it, but I think all companies like want to do it. Um, and there is this rush. And in fact, it, it is our competitive advantage, our being Netflix, but I think it's every company's competitive advantage to move fast, right? If I can out-innovate you, then I'll capture the market before you can. Um, and that can be misconstrued to your point about like, you just got to start coding from day one. And um, we're certainly, you know, I think every company also has this lesson learned. In fact, we mentioned Mozilla, you know, Netflix, or not Netflix, excuse me, Netscape, <laughs> I think ultimately imploded because of this problem, right? Is that like, um, well, 
they ultimately imploded because of uh, IE, but also yeah, the, Microsoft <laughs> shipping a browser on their operating system, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but other things probably it didn't help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They couldn't, they couldn't evolve, and I think this is this is the problem of the challenge you get into is like, how do you? Because you can't, of course, you you can spend too much time. To your point about, like, I think that was one of the downfalls of waterfall is like you spend so much time planning, you're not really going to be able to like. No one knows what the future holds, so. You got to find that right balance of like we know enough that like here's a here's a here's a design or whatever here's a thought process that we've went through that will get us you know this far and we just know we have to revisit it at some point. Mm-hmm. I think is 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 kind of that happy medium that we strive for in Netflix. So it's there are no heavy processes where it's like where's your design doc? Where's you know the uh, you know whatever I was gonna say RFP or something like that. There 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 aren't that. But then there's also like an expectation like. Um, if if you start coding today without thinking this through, like you 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 better then build in some time because it's going to fall apart. Or you're going to hit some snag. Or you're going to realize it's not as extensible as we wanted. Like the business changes day to day, so to speak. Um, you know, even though it, it, the business model of Netflix may seem very simple in that it's like just stream content, yeah. uh, you'd be surprised on like how quickly you know uh, things change from a business uh, landscape or priority or uh, low level style, you know, uh, from day to day or you know quarter to quarter. Um, so there is an expectation you put some effort into it, but by no means is there a, you know, like a formalized process of, you know, design docs, you know, UML, yeah. do people even do UML anymore. I don't know. I, I, oh, don't you miss the sequence diagrams of days gone by and the old, uh, yes. uh, the boot um, methods back in my, those were my early days when I, I, I teach the design thinking class. And I was like, you know, forever we drew users as stick figures. I mean, for, for my entire first 15, it's just a stick figure, you know, and now yeah. I've learned the empathy and there's all, but, but early on, it's just a stick figure on the diagram. So you know what's uh, hilarious is uh, uh, speaking of Grady Booch, I ran into him at a local um, in Campbell here uh, at a, at a Whole Foods. Um, so he lives in Maui. Um, so, you know, there's someone who's very influential. I think he did a lot yeah. of you know, interesting things. And I think that style of thinking, I still, you know, when I think about like design, I actually do think in terms of like models and UML, <laughs> even though uh, I, I don't have any, you know, tools these days, like rational rows or together or anything like that. But um, I still think of boxes and like, you know, uh, let's say domain models. But yeah, I know it's hilarious to run into him at, because um, I had met him a few times at conferences. Uh, but yeah, I was just walking around Whole Foods and there he was in his like, um, you know, Hawaiian shirt. And I'm like, you do not live in Campbell, do you? He's like, no, I live in, you know, Maui. I'm just here on business. So small world. Wow. Together, soft man. Anyway, you brought back some old memories there. Uh, hey, well, I will just throw this one last thing in there because you did you, you, did, you did open Pandora's box yeah. and can of worms when you said, you know, who has influenced you? Um, Peter Code, the founder of yes. Softman. He wrote a couple different books, and one of those books was called, um, I think it was just called Java Design. So he was really famous for modeling in color, UML, you know. uh, But Java Design, I believe, was his first book. And that, for me, was uh, like uh, a game changer uh, because I finally, and this was early in my career, like very Mm -hmm. early, like late, late 90s. I finally understood like interfaces, abstract classes, you know, design. I mean, just like extensions. I just, it, it all clicked and it was that book. And so um, I, I, I want to say, I still have that book up here. There's a, there's a, a attic space above me uh, nice. in a box somewhere. It's just like, it's a, uh, you know, it, it, everyone always has the design patterns book. Of course. Um, Thing of four, right? For, 
Yeah, exactly. The most boring read ever, by the way. Uh, nobody ever reads it. Everybody has it. Exactly. It. <laughs> yeah, it's like this book that everyone has, but no one's ever read. For me, Java Design, I think it's just called Java Design. Um, and you can't even find it anymore. Uh, that was my like Gang of Four book. Totally nice. influential. Nice. The other one for me like that is Eric Evans, The Main Driven Design, which is, it's, you know, there's one point I'll get him on here, but great book. But yeah, everybody has it. How many people actually read it through it? Yeah, a lot fewer. So, hey, to wrap things up, Andy, so what topics are top of mind? I mean, I think what's interesting is I hear you talking about, you you, you have a lot of the same challenge at Netflix that other large IT organizations have. And maybe the, the baselines and targets are different, but, but it sounds yeah. like a lot of the same things, whereas a lot of people from outside just presume that everything in Netflix is magical and everybody can put up, push to production all day long. What are some of the topics that you're staying top of mind of um, that, you know, for our listeners out there that would be like, hey, this is what Andy and Netflix are thinking about. Maybe these are some things we need to go check out. Anything's on the cusp for trends coming about that you're kind of paying attention to? Well, let me say this. This is what we're focused on. And I think uh, some of it maybe touches on some trends and whatnot. But um you know, when we think about productivity, uh, I think we're all very hyper-focused on individual kind of silos. So like, if you think of like the, the SDLC, there's local development experience mm -hmm. and there's delivery, and then there's like operations. And what we're doing, and I think we've optimized those, like we've, you know, tricked those out big time. Yeah. Uh, and so in any, you know, any individual sliver, we are, our developers are highly productive. But if you take a step back and you look at how they all connect, that's where the low-hanging fruit is. It's like um, when I'm working on my local development, but I have to go to this other context to do delivery, and then I have to go to this other context to actually operate my software. And we've we've solved those contexts, and now we're looking back and saying, how do you solve them together? What's the experience that links them all together? Which I don't think people are necessarily thinking about these days because we, we tend to look, take a big problem, yeah. put yep. it into small pieces. But uh, we're looking at the holistic experience, and part of that is being more opinionated I'll step closer. Uh, and, uh, you know, raising the level of abstraction. And so we're looking towards more like managed software. And so one one thing that I think is pretty interesting that I'm, I'm fairly intimately uh, familiar with because it was my previous role um, is looking at this idea of, of managed delivery. And you can and that's a very sliver of or I should say it's a very um, focused look at the deliver aspect. Um, but this idea of managing uh, a lot of, let's say, the the intricacies of, of, of software development, whether it be operations or delivery or development, um, is a real boon to developers because the world is only getting more complex. And so if you look at like Netflix, right now, per se, uh, when you do delivery, uh, you, you know, you build you build an asset, then you, you know, you verify it, you test it. Uh, and then you, you know, you let the world kind of do that. And those are all separate steps. And in fact, and what I mean by let the world is like you, you, you publish it to the world. We have enough information now where we can, we can largely do that for you in the sense of you don't have to figure out like, where should it be placed? So most companies, for example, when they do delivery, it's like, I'm going to push to this region or to this yep. data center. Uh, but as you grow in complexity, it's like, well, we can do intelligent placement. And we know this is an app that needs to be like globally available. So we'll put it here, here, and here, as opposed to making you figure out, I got to put it here, here, and here. Uh, when it comes to verifying an application, we do, and Netflix is, uh, I think, pioneered in many ways, uh, like canary analysis. Like, let's put, a, uh, let's put this in the production, do a small amount, do a bigger amount, and then roll it out. Well, we can now automate that. Um, if you can just give us some KPIs, for example, so the idea being like, uh, 
this is a, a, an app that facilitates streaming, so my KPI is how many stream starts per second. Um, if you give us some of that information, then we can largely do the canary without you having to worry about like the intricacies of like, I'll put it here and do this blast radius, then put it here and do this larger blast radius. So that's, that's one individual sliver, but it's this idea of um, almost like intelligent rollouts, but then think about that intelligence with uh, operations or even local development. So we're calling it, you know, managed uh, software processes. And I think we'll start to see more of that uh, because ultimately, you know, everything, uh, everything, it, the world is only getting more complex uh, yes. and it's becoming very difficult to, uh, to manage all that. Uh, and so if platform teams can build a lowercase P for platform, uh, you'll see a boon, I think, in uh, productivity. It's interesting. A lot of my clients are moving to, sometimes they call it platforms, sometimes not. They're moving this more DevOpsy kind of platforms sort of system. To your point, there's a lot of complexity. You take that off. What they're all learning is, and we saw this with SolarWinds, right? Those platforms have to be secure, oh, yeah. reliable, highly available, because you know it used to be like, well, this is my internal Jenkins server, and it's pretty, but I've got all this other stuff in production that's really valuable. And now you realize your entire tool stack of these DevOps platforms have to be just as resilient, just as reliable, just as secure as yep. everything you touch. And that's, you know, you guys probably hit that a long time ago, but a lot of companies I work with are coming around to the, oh my God, if I do more CICD and more of these things, those central systems are as core and critical to our company as our, you know, systems of record for our customers, our banking deposit systems, those things. Yep. Well, and uh, one more thing that I think you, uh, we're, we're really pushing on that I think, um, it is a subtlety that I'm not sure everyone understands. So uh, Netflix has this mantra that you know you own what you what you write, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is no separate like DevOps team or you know ops team that you push. Pro like DevOps is part of you know the full cycle developers. We say so every team owns what they put into production. But the subtlety is is that we want everyone to be responsible for what they wrote, not what they built. And, this, and that was the realization of what we have today in many cases is that we platform, when you do a build of, let's say, your service, you pull in platform libraries and dependencies, and then that gets pushed in production, and you're responsible for that. And that creates a slight like delay in resolution, right? Because when there's a problem with your app, someone's got to figure out, is it is it your code or was it, was it my code as in part of platform? And that's a, a slight inefficiency that we want to do away with. So we are actually driving that whole vision I talked about where we're going is we want to drive to like where you truly are only responsible for what you wrote. Wow. Uh, and platform is actually responsible for the platform. And to do that, we have to decompose some of the decisions that, you know, uh, we made early on that we didn't necessarily foresee. So back to your, like, how much design do you put in there? Uh, you know, it's very easy to, um, you know, hindsight's 2020 and, and, and one last thing. Uh, and I believe this very strongly in Netflix, and this is also any company's, um, uh, let's say, competitive advantage, is do you learn from your mistakes? Like, mm -hmm. we have a complex problem. Don't forget about where we came from because there's a ton of lessons in there that we can apply when we want to get to where we're going. So break a problem into small pieces and then really pay attention to what like lessons you learn because uh, I, I do believe that Netflix is a learning company. Like we 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 learn lessons. We make a lot of mistakes. We we yeah. but we learn from them. And uh, it's the companies that fail that don't learn from those little mistakes or aren't afraid to try experiments and, and, and admit that experiment didn't work. Let's try something else. Yeah, no, it's really fascinating. I think if anything, a lot of this, and I'll put 
not that Netflix is a startup anymore, but but the operation of these tech companies that focus on quick cycles and fast learning has, has been wonderful to the larger industries out there because it's pushed them. Larger yeah. companies I work with, it's pushed them to go quicker and faster and, and at times uncomfortable. Um, but I think companies like Netflix, you guys have done a wonderful job of saying it's possible to do these things. And it's just a matter of, of, of focus and good engineering talent. But I think what you guys have done is helping even my customers who are not Netflix or not in streaming. It's helping push them forward. Yeah. And and so you guys have done, you yourself and your whole team have done a really great job in terms of helping not only Netflix, but others think about how to do these things. So well, thank you. Yeah. Well, we learn a lot from the industry as well. So I can say Netflix is always learning. Like uh, sometimes, you know, people on the outside think, I think you also mentioned this, like it's yeah. this perfect, you know, engineering culture and, and we do a lot of things well, but we, 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 we certainly make our share, fair share of mistakes. But I think what's great about Netflix is we admit it and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll learn from it. That's awesome. All right. So last question, Andy, what music are you listen to these days? What, what do you got going through those nice uh, orange headphones? What kind oh, of headphones are those yeah. Headphones? You know what? I, so I, I, I love Spotify, by the way, what an amazing yes. business model. Uh, I mean, I know there's Apple music and all that, but I just love Spotify. Uh, this new band, it's not new. They've been around for a while, but I just, I just discovered them. They're called wooden ships and ships okay. is spelled S H J I P S. They're a, a San Francisco based. You can kind of think of them as like kind of indie rock, really liking mm. them. Um, Interesting. So yeah, that's what I'm listening to these days. It wouldn't ships, wouldn't that? A, um, it's a song by uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, right? Um, oh, is it okay? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, cool. Now I, I tell you what, I listen to Spotify. I'm a, I, we got the family playing. I'm probably on there six, yeah. seven hours a day, man. It's like yeah, all, all I listen to whatever these are just listen to Spotify. And so, well, as, as luck would have it, when this all gets done, we're going to get this out there. It, it too will be on Spotify, and so you can hey, discover sweet. it. Yeah, yeah, we got it all set up when our engineers or actually one of our designers figured out how to get this broadcast on Spotify and Apple Music. So I'm um, here great. shortly when Lindsay wraps it up, you'll be able to go to Spotify and listen to this conversation. That's so, awesome. well, Andy, thank you so much for your time. Um, I appreciate you. you taking out. And uh, yeah, the whole time I've been looking at there, it's like, dude, I've got to think about getting my, my garage converted into an office because that's like the <laughs> coolest thing um, ever. So, uh, Well, in California, it doesn't rain a lot, so it's okay to park outside. Uh, that California is the one place I, I've ever been where uh, like pretty much no one parks in their garage. When I live in Virginia, we always parked in our garage. Yeah, so. well, you're not missing much, Andy. Here today, it's in a low 40s and rainy. So uh, oh, you're, you're, you're living in the right spot. So, all right, Andy. Thanks again thank for coming on the program, man. And we'll talk to you later. Yes, thank you very much. This is a blast. <laughs>